Welcome to Phone Messages, Episode 150, Mrs. Murphy. My name is Paul Mason Foch. This week, I play a message from someone who leaves a name, but it is a name I do not recognize. The message is two seconds long and comes from the winter of 1990. Let's listen. Hi, Mrs. Murph. Although the end of the name is cut off, Mrs. Murph is clearly Mrs. Murphy. And there are two possibilities here. Either the person is calling to leave a message for Mrs. Murphy, or it is Mrs. Murphy who is calling. While my usual practice with a message from someone I do not recognize and has called me by accident is to alter their voice and hide their name, in this case, because it is such a short clip and Murphy is such a common name, I have done neither. According to the Ancestry.com Index of Chicago Directories, in 1990, there were over 30,000 Murphys living in Chicago. Murphy, of course, is an Irish name, and in fact, is the most common surname in Ireland. So the number of Murphys in Chicago indicates the large presence of Irish in the city. The American Community Survey from 2015 found over 200,000 Irish Americans in Chicago, second only to New York in descendants from the island. Chicago shows its Irish pride every St. Patrick's Day by dyeing its river green, a practice begun in 1962 by Richard J. Daly, who was one of Chicago's 12 Irish mayors. Although Daly is probably Chicago's most famous mayor, or infamous considering the police tactics he oversaw during the 1968 Democratic Convention, Chicago also produced national politicians of Irish descent, notably Barack Obama, whose great-great-great-grandfather on his mother's side came from Moneygall, a small town between Dublin and Limerick. Perhaps the most notorious Irish figure in Chicago's history is Catherine O'Leary, who supposedly was milking her cow when it kicked over a lantern, setting the barn ablaze and starting the Great Chicago Fire of 1871, which killed 300 people and displaced more than 100,000 from their homes. The story first appeared in the Chicago Tribune, and although years later the reporter admitted inventing the tale, Mrs. O'Leary became a scapegoat that fit the anti-immigrant sentiment of the time. Attacks on O'Leary in the press, which included caricatures of her as a drunk, forced the family to change their name to Walsh and relocate to the southern edge of the city. Who actually started the fire may never be known, but the predominance of wooden sidewalks and buildings, in conjunction with unusually warm, dry weather, 
it had not rained for 22 days, were most responsible for its devastation. Thanks to a campaign by amateur historian Richard Bales, O'Leary was officially exonerated by the Chicago City Council in 1997. Last October, for the 150th anniversary of the fire, the Chicago Historical Society created an exhibit that included examples of items melted by flames, from pocket watches to teacups. But the highlight of the exhibit is a 40-foot-long painting used to develop an enormous cyclorama which opened in 1892. Visitors entered a specially constructed building in downtown Chicago with a circular room 130 feet in diameter and 60 feet tall, where they could examine an illustrated dramatization of the fire in fantastic detail. Sadly, after just 19 months, the cyclorama was forced to close and, despite efforts to reconstruct it in later years, it was finally sold for scrap in 1913. By that time, the popularity of cycloramas had declined with the emergence of more flashy forms of entertainment, mainly movies. Well, that's enough flash for this week. If you want to set this podcast on fire please contact me through my website, pfoch.com. That's P-F-O-T-S-C-H dot com. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.